Hey, Culture and Conversations family, I'm your host, Jamison Smallwood, and I'm about to make you guys part of the conversation. Hey guys, thank you for downloading, thank you guys for supporting, thank you guys for sharing culture and uh, conversations. Up next on Culture and Conversations, my reaction to the Derek Chauvin murder trial verdict. He has been found guilty, and it happened today. Up next on Culture and Conversations. Hey guys, welcome to Culture and Conversations. I'm your host, Jamison Smallwood, and thank you guys for being part of the conversation. It has been a while since we have talked on the audio podcast, and I appreciate you guys still subscribing, still waiting with bated breath on the new drop of culture and conversations. Been busy, been busy living my life, doing the things that I have to do in order to be able to podcast, like work, (laughs) and uh, have a spiritual life by working in the church as well. Uh, Also trying to, you know, uh, manage my social circle uh, as best I can, you know, dealing with my friends, dealing with relationships, dealing with family, uh, just all the things that you would find yourself normally doing as a fully actualized adult. Um, and, and that's what I've been up to. So, uh, so I appreciate you guys waiting. Uh, we're approaching episode 100 and soon that's going to drop. And I'm kind of glad I held off on recording an episode. I've got, um, a lot to talk about with the verdict of Derek Chauvin's murder case. Um, George Floyd last year uh, was just a regular guy living his life. And he had an encounter with the police. And in that encounter with the police, he lost his life. Uh, He encountered Derek Chauvin. And for all intents and purposes, uh, given all the video evidence that you could see, Uh, Derek Chauvin murdered George Floyd. And when I first saw the video, it felt, it felt surreal, but familiar. It felt very much like something that I had seen before, but at the same time, it was almost like an out of body experience because I was gripped uh, with emotion, um, uh, you know, I was definitely angry. I felt dehumanized as a black man, and uh, I felt, I felt some um, remorse, you know, and uh, it was really sad. Uh, for people who listen to this, I'm going to interact a little bit with some people in the comments. I see you, Carlos, man. He says he's all the way from Brazil, man. That's cool, man. Let me clap it up for you, Carlos. I appreciate you watching, man. And uh, we love interacting with people. So thank you for tuning in, man. And uh, I was gripped with a lot of just, you know, hurt and pain watching that unfold. Um, There was some ugliness taking place there that, to put it mildly, and um, I knew that I was going to be changed by it. As a black man in America, we unfortunately, we see a lot of trauma. We see a lot of trauma. Uh, Our trauma is depicted to us through the news our traumas depicted to us through media so watching george floyd uh lose his life at the hands of a police officer for no apparent reason that could be used as justification for his life being taken it was really uh difficult to watch um and you know 
your initial reaction is, you know, that you wish that moment didn't happen. You wish you could rewind the clock back. You wish uh, George Floyd wasn't dead. And then you also began to dread the next churn of events where, okay, well, somebody's got to press charges against Derek Chauvin. Uh, the police are going to be, you know, have to be brought to brought to bear. And they're going to have to hold one of their own accountable. And will the legal system actually care that George Floyd died because George Floyd had a number of incidents where he had had, you know, encounters with the police and a criminal record. And, and, oh, and George was on, uh, was, was, was a drug addict and he had an opioid addiction. And, you know, that conversation instantly begins to kind of bubble up in this narrative. And it's tough because, there are so many people invested in certain narratives about human life and when it can be taken and when it's cheapened. Um, and it was no different in this case with George Floyd, obviously, you know, people began to bring up all of his failings as a person, uh, moral and otherwise to discredit his claim that he had a right to encounter the police and live. And so, you know, I'm watching all of this unfold and, uh, it was tough but what I didn't expect to happen was I didn't expect to see this huge um, upswell in the country uh, of people protesting and being upset. Don't get me wrong. I expected to see black people take up arms, you know, metaphorically speaking. And, you know, and maybe even, <laughs> maybe even uh, uh, some actual arms, uh, you know, in protest of what happened to George Floyd. But what took place in the summer of 2020 was that the entire country, you know, for all intents and purposes, and I say the entire country, geographically speaking, not necessarily population speaking, began to respond. And there were protests all over the country and people spoke out in just, you know, very direct and overt ways about racism. And and I even remember we did an episode of Hashtag Group Chat, our video stream on Facebook and, and, and on YouTube. And in that, in that stream, people were calling in, people were responding. We had people reaching out to us directly, wanting to have conversations about race. Uh, that's where I coined the term polite racist because people were, you know, pretending as if they had so much to say about George Floyd losing his life. But in actuality, they just were trying to justify how this couldn't have possibly been racism, right? It's easier to say that a police officer murdered someone by using quote unquote poor technique than it is to say uh, that they were uh, in fact racist and they devalued a person's life to the point where murdering them didn't seem inconce didn't seem in inconceivable. And uh, they thought it was going to happen uh, without consequence. So we had this, this great conversation, in this country going, people were protesting. I remember seeing, uh, you know, white people protesting people from a lot of different, you know, ethnicities and races and nationalities protesting. Uh, and like I said, people, it was kind of strange. People were, you know, uh, you know, people were reaching out to me, white people were reaching out to me, apologizing or, you know, and people from other races apologizing like, Hey, I wish we had done we had done more to understand where black people were coming from. It was, it was a really weird time. Like it, 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 it felt like it felt like some type of, you know, glitch in the matrix, you know, and, and don't get me wrong. There were still people, like I said, who were polite racist. You know, I had an encounter with somebody who wanted me to, to basically, 
you know, take a picture with them and show so he could show his timeline that, you know, his black friend and him were getting along. I'm like, dude, I just met you like two days ago. You're not, you know, <laughs> you're not, you're not, you're not my friend. <laughs> and, and don't get me wrong. Um, I, 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 I was definitely, you know, acquainted with him, but I wouldn't call him a friend now. And I'm for sure not going to become some kind of token mascot of melanin that he could parade around on his timeline. Uh, but Ian, you're right, man. The world responded. And in that response, uh, it, it just made uh, for a moment in time that I'll never forget. You know, I'm, my parents grew up and lived during the civil rights movement in this country. Um, and especially as, as African-Americans of the South, they, they experienced racism. They experienced bigotry. They experienced Jim Crow. They experienced sharecropping. They experienced a lot of just the 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 the. the experience that we often connotate and denotate for having uh, been that of the African-American during that time. And, you know, they had that experience, but I didn't obviously because I came much later in life. And so for me to go through a summer where, you know, like I said, everybody was protesting, I, you know, where I live at uh, the suburb of Atlanta that I live in, I was on, I was saw people on the street corners protesting. And then on top of that, you had the overall narrative of COVID-19 and the pandemic going on. It was truly a perfect storm. And you saw people wearing masks, you know, out protesting in large numbers. And then the world, you know, to Ian's point, the world took over and people started protesting in Europe and all across the, the globe. And there were movements and, and they were all tied back to that, that moment where George Floyd lost his life with Derek Chauvin's knee against his throat. Um, and, and it, and it was just, it just was, it was, like I said, it was surreal. It, uh, it, it, it was, it was one of those moments in life where I just couldn't believe it. And I mean, and on top of it too, there was, there was a huge response economically as well from the business sector, you know, businesses spoke out and said, you know, made huge, you know, strong statements, you know, against racism and systemic oppression and bigotry. You know, uh, the Washington Redskins became known as the Washington football team in that summer. You know, they, they lost their, their racist name. You know, Dan Snyder had, had been adamant. He wasn't going to change the name of that team. And then sponsors said, Hey, look, we're going to take our money away from you if you don't change his name and it was just amazing to see so many people responding, uh, it, you know, in so many different sectors of life responding, uh, that, you know, it, it couldn't, it, it, it just could not be, you know, you couldn't have predicted that, you know? Um, and, and I think the, the thing that as I kind of wrap up that summer summarization, what, what is always the question that I'm left with is why, Right. Why did George Floyd and his death and his murder, why did it spark this? And I don't know. You know, I've had this conversation with friends and um, I was talking with my girlfriend about this. I don't know. I don't know specifically why him. You know, part of me feels like the video was just so visceral. You know, we've seen a lot of videos that were following the aftermath of people encountering the police. Uh, black folks encountering the police and being murdered or killed by the police. And that video aftermath, you know, was oftentimes either, you know, edited and doctored video from, you know, quote unquote body cams or, you know, somebody who was unfortunately, 
a bystander like, you know, the, the girlfriend of Philando Castillo, um, you know, where she started videotaping what the aftermath of him being shot. You didn't really see the, that moment. You know, we, we always got the reports and the news of someone being killed and their ethnicity. And we had a few videos. I'm not going to lie. We did have a few videos. I remember a gentleman was running away from a cop and got shot in the back several times and, and, and was killed. So I'm not saying that, 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 that we were completely without this type of video evidence. But in this case, there was just something truly visceral about it. I don't know if it's because George Floyd was, was handcuffed with his hands behind his back. I don't know if it was because uh, George Floyd, you know, was calling out for his mama and and had gotten to a point where he felt completely you could you could feel the 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 shift where there was just no there was, he wasn't going to make it out of that you could you could feel it in the video the shift of of what of, of his life leaving him and the callousness you know of Derek Chauvin how he was just so indifferent to that man's suffering i don't know if i don't know what about that was was so gripping because it was it was emblematic of other types of police encounters that we have seen uh, go left. And yet that one sparked change. And, um, and so today, as we fast forward to uh, April 20th, 2021, we see that uh, Derek Chauvin has been found guilty. And, you know, I, I'm still, I'm still kind of getting my emotions around how I feel. I I think first and foremost, there's a sense of relief that, that George Floyd's murderer has been, has been found guilty of murder. The legal system has done the first major part of the job is to convict him. Um, You know, because in America, the story of, 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 of black people encountering the police and, and authorities, you know, there could have been, there could have, he could have easily been found innocent depending on circumstances. Right. And, um, and I was just really, I was really, I was really happy, but it's a cautious happiness. It's a, it's a tenuous happiness. Um, it's not vengeful what I'm feeling like, you know, good for him. You know, he got what he deserved. Like that's, that's, that's not exactly how I feel. I, I I think that what I'm feeling really, as I try to parse through this, you know, is that I'm trying to articulate that, Hey, I'm happy that this went the way it was supposed to go, but I'm humbled and still sad. And in mourning the fact that so much went bad to get to this point, you don't get to a point where you're trying Derek Chauvin for murder unless George Floyd lost his life. And then if you look at how he lost his life and over what he lost his life, this encounter over uh, an alleged counterfeit $20 bill is completely, um, it's just completely ridiculous. And, and it just, it just speaks once again to the fact that, you know, this idea of of justice, this idea, I've seen people posting things about justice and, and, and accountability and the difference. Um, you know, I, I I just I'm just torn because I don't want to be happy simply for the for the fact that somebody that the legal system actually did the right thing. 
There's a in that in that relief in that in that happiness, there is and um, there's there's an inherent admission that the legal system doesn't work right all the time. That there's biases, there's 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 failings that that manifest themselves when it comes to people uh, who are black and in particular black men and black women. You know, it, it, it it's there's an admission in that, right? So you're 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 kind of in this emotional limbo where yes you're happy that justice has been has been executed in this slice of the series of events um but in fairness george floyd was failed by the very same system that we now are rejoicing has done its quote-unquote job and so now we remain uh here in this moment having to make sense of what is to come we have a a a verdict that has been given out. And now we also have a sentencing that's going to take place in about eight weeks. And, um, and that, and that sort of anxiety is going to return where now we've got to wait and see if he's going to actually get jail time for what he did. And this is where the judge who's on the case is going to have to process this situation, this situation and this series of events. And now we're going to be there again, because even though, yes, he's been found guilty, what are the consequences of this? I mean, the minimum I've seen that he can get is about 12 and a half years. Even if all of the charges, um, even if all the charges are, are, you know, are run concurrently at their minimums, I should say, you know, the, 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 the different counts that he's been uh, found guilty on that him being Derek Chauvin. And so, you know, with, with, with appeals and, and probation and parole or whatever that term is, you know, he may only do half of that, you know, and so it's tough. It's tough and it feels it feels incomplete. Maybe that's the best word to describe it. It feels incomplete. Um, and and so it won't be complete until we see what happens. Um, I just don't know. Um, but. In terms of my in terms of my reaction, that's where I was at. I'm still there in that emotional limbo, and uh, I won't be out of it until I've had some time to sit with this, you know. And so uh, maybe I should have sat with it before I recorded this episode. But I kind of wanted to give you a glimpse as the listeners into where I'm at uh, in this moment. Um, I am a Christian. I don't hide that, uh, but I don't necessarily talk um, too overtly about religious topics on the podcast, because I feel like there's other places you can go and get that content that I already offer. Um, but I am looking at this situation with Derek and I'm also thinking about his soul. And, and I think there's an incomplete story there as well, because you want justice to be served but there is a sort of sadness that the human condition has failed, has failed um, someone so completely. You know, the our, our our nature as Christians, we're taught is sinful, uh, in, inherently sinful, meaning we inherited from Adam, and so uh, our great progenitor. And so now we find ourselves watching all of this play out. We see a man who, who murdered someone who was supposed that he's in theory was supposed to be protecting as a citizen in his community. And he, yet he murdered him with the full backing and support 
of the very institution that empowered him to protect him to begin with. And you can just see from the mug shots, you see from, you know, the, the footage in the courthouse that Derek Chauvin, in my opinion, is still very much in the throes of grief and mourning. And my suspicion, my opinion is that it's not because George Floyd lost his life that he is not because he murdered George Floyd, but it's, it's ultimately because he sees his life destroyed and he sees the collapse and the, and the failure of his life um, in such a, in such a huge way. You know, it's one thing to fail, right? It's another thing to fail publicly, but then it's another thing to fail on a, on a scale that sparks a, a global response of, of people being upset that you, that you did what you did. And it, it, it is going to be tough to see where he goes, right? And don't get me wrong. This moment is about George Floyd. This moment is about justice. Uh, being served for those people who lost George Floyd, the community who is is grieving his loss, the nation who grieves his loss, um, the the realization that we live in a nation where this is even possible. There's a mourning that comes with that. So I don't want to take any attention away from George Floyd as as I as I ponder Derek Chauvin, but the Sunday school teacher in me, the Christian in me, um, I do wonder about his soul, and. The one thing I will say is that the legal system's job is is not one of redemption. You know, it's not the legal system's job to make Derek Chauvin spiritually whole. It's not the legal justice's uh, the legal system's job as as a as an instrument of justice to make Derek Chauvin regenerate or new again or bring him to a place where he's forgiven, that's not that's not the legal system's job. Um, that's ultimately Derek Chauvin's job. And the real tragedy is that you can't harm someone like George Floyd without losing a part of yourself in the process. And you can be so blinded by hatred and racism and bigotry that you actually take a human being's life, but in the process, you completely destroy for all intents and purposes, take your own. There's, there's a lesson in this and I'm trying to tease it out a bit, but we need to learn from Derek Chauvin. You know, he needs to be a powerful counterexample of what we shouldn't do. Right. You know, he, he expresses in his remorse for himself, the ultimate reality about hatred is that it destroys not only the, the object of your hate, but it destroys you in the process. And being a racist inherently does so much damage to you. And you don't even realize it until you're in the moment. Because for many people who have been racist throughout history in America, there's no real consequence for it, right? The culture, the culture, um, upheld the belief, the culture normalized that belief system of racism. And we have to admit that and understand that there are so many people who have expressed their, their, this hatred throughout the, the, the centuries of America's existence. And, and, and before this country was even a country that they don't even realize 
that they are in need of a, a of a redemption and they're they're in need of a spiritual cleansing you know and um it's sad and and once again like i said this isn't a moment to to mourn Derek Chauvin in any way particularly other than you know it truly is an opportunity for him to reflect on what he did and come to grips with the hatred in his heart that produced that moment. Um, and I hope America, just as Derek Chauvin has to go through this process, looks at itself and says, Hey, this is, this is what we produced. And this is what we have produced in this country. And this is what the belief systems of, of, of the of the founding fathers, the belief systems of our ancestors, the belief systems of people who quote unquote built this country. The, this is what those things left unacknowledged and unaddressed produce. I guess my last thought on this as we wrap this up, and and I just kind of want to give you guys my initial reaction to this and and record this um, this this podcast live is what we have to I guess admit just like we would have to, if we went to therapy is what motivated Derek Chauvin, you know, racism. Yes. Bigotry. Yes. Feeling empowered and, 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 and untouchable because of the badge that he wore. Yes. L- living in a community and in a world that devalued the life of someone like George Floyd. Yes. Um, those are all things that produce that, but George, this conversation is bigger than Derek Chauvin. And even though George Floyd has, has sparked this moment and continues to spark these moments as we go forward, there are other people we, we would be remiss if we didn't mention that have lost their lives in similar fashion and did not receive justice in the sense of, hey, my murderer was found guilty or that my murderer was found, um, was found at fault. And so this is not, this is not change. This moment is not forever. This moment is not without its, 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 its failings. Um, but this moment does, offer a degree of hope that we can progress this topic of police murders to where it needs to be. I'm not sure though. And that uncertainty is something I'm going to have to live with. Um, That uncertainty is something that you'll have to live with if you even feel it. Um, But for those people who are inspired to think and to come to their senses um, in this moment, then maybe the murder of George Floyd, George Floyd losing his life won't completely uh, be in vain. So um, I am, I'm grateful that the, the citizens who were on that jury did the right thing today and found Derek Chauvin guilty and I hope that America learns this, but my skepticism 
is well grounded in the 400 plus years of, of this country's history um, and, and this and this and this colony's history, if you, you know, so to speak, where we have never had the relationship with the African Negro who finds himself here in America, this displaced due to child slavery. We've never had a relationship with that, with, with that, with that person and that community and that group of people that I represent ultimately that would give me hope completely that this is going to be a moment that truly is going to spark change. And, um, we just, I just hope we keep that same energy as people who are aware of the need to advocate for people such as George Floyd and to advocate that our police um, return to treating us fairly as people of color, as African-Americans, as black folk. Um, I don't know. I don't know if we ever get there. But, um, yeah, I hope that George Floyd um, continues to be an inspiration for people to examine themselves. And I hope that Derek Chauvin serves as a cautionary tale of what not to do. Um, one last bit of, um, of sort of somber reflection. Um, this past week, as of the recording of this episode, I received a, 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 uh, a text message from uh, one of the, the, you know, the people in our community um, who has, has been on the show. And she texted me and she said that uh, Cinnamon Key, uh, who has been a guest uh, several times on the podcast, that she passed away. And I was, I was floored. I got that, that message first thing in the morning. And um, it really just... I still don't believe it. And, you know, I, I ask questions, obviously, um, the, you know, to get some details about what happened. And I won't go into specifics because I don't feel like that's appropriate for what I'm trying to do with this. This, um, But what I will just what I will say is that ultimately she will be missed. And um, the the sadness, I think I feel is in part because this is just a very difficult time for everybody. Uh, we, we find ourselves not only battling racism and bigotry, you know, these are old foes, but we also find ourselves um, dealing with um, a pandemic, dealing with an uncertain economy, uh, dealing with people who are displaced economically as a result of what's going on. There's just a lot. And Cinnamon's passing uh, is a part of that a lot. And um, I know that she meant a lot of, to the people who, who listened to the podcast and who, came to, who became uh, followers of her content and, 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 and fans of her perspectives. And, and I just really appreciate Cinnamon's uh, support. You know, she was a huge encourager. Uh, she always said amazing things. Um, to that were uplifting. She always was was encouraging me into podcasts. She always was uh, you know, very flattering of the product that we were put, printing out of culture and conversations. She was a subscriber. Uh, she had her own podcast, um, you know, and 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 it just it just was it just was a, a, a she was very much a kindred spirit 
And I still cannot believe she's gone. And um, it hurts. And so uh, for people who um, who care about, you know, who cared about her, who, who listened to her through this platform from time to time, whether, you know, you were someone who heard her call into the show or the, the group chat or heard her actually as a guest on here, um, you know, she is going to be missed. I, hope, I know you're going to miss her. And um, just keep the podcast community who came in touch with her, her family, her friends, all the people that she inspired, um, keep them in your thoughts and prayers. And, um, and just remember how short our time truly is and that we have no idea of what's out there that can take us from this moment and this reality into the next. And so, you know, I don't want to leave on such a low note, but keep all of that in mind. Um, I think sentiment will want us to be mindful of our moments. And um, I think, you know, her part of her, part of her brand was that she was, she was all about building resilience um, because she had done so much personal work to get to that point in time and, and, and that, that, that we found each other in and uh, she had done all this great self work and she wanted to share that message of how you can bounce back and how you can build yourself emotionally and mentally and uh, spiritually to, to, for the battles of life. And you can, you can come out of those battles and still be victorious. And, and that was her brand. Um, she, she, she preached resilience. And so we need all of that. And we still need that message of resilience. Um, even with her having passed away. So, um, to those people who are, who, um, who, who have followed her, you know, um, go download her content, download all of her podcast episodes, um, because that's it. There's no more uh, coming. So, um, I plan on doing it. Um, I don't know what I'm gonna do with it. I don't know what, I don't know if I can memorialize it in some way, but you know, she has a podcast that you can find easily. If you type in her name, cinnamon key and type in podcast, you'll find her podcast. So, Thank you guys for listening to this episode of Culture and Conversations. I appreciate you guys uh, watching uh, this live recording. Uh, for people who um, who who uh, find this video maybe later on, if I leave it up, <laughs> you can go and download the podcast at cultureandconversations.com and also on every platform where podcasts are available. Let me kick it up a notch here and, and sign off properly. Thank you guys for downloading. And listening to Culture and Conversations, we are available everywhere that you can go and listen to podcasts. Hey, thank you once again. Go over to Facebook and listen to Culture and Conversations. Go and hit like, hit subscribe, hit follow, hit all the stuff that we need you to do. Also on YouTube, Culture and Conversations. We do our live stream hashtag group chat there. And uh, we want you guys to follow um, and subscribe to that page or that, that profile, that channel as well whatever the proper lingo is. And uh, we're over on Instagram to culture and conversations, man. I heard from one of the listeners all the way in Brazil. That's pretty cool, man. Carlos, we appreciate you, man. And uh, to everybody else, man, you guys be blessed out there. I love each and every one of you. Even the ones who don't love me, I still love you as best I can. And don't forget uh, to learn from these moments that I just got done sharing with you. Take care guys. Peace.